Uh, I grew up, uh, these, this is my favourite band, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, I think they're the Led Zeppelin of my generation. Amazing band, and I'm genuinely a massive fan. Like, um, and oh, there we go. How comes this? Straight away. Like if you're not, now, can I just say up front, they say some naughty words in their songs, okay? So if you've got particularly strong, sensitive Ned Flanders ears, then please uh, do not listen. This is not my, and do not play it around your children. I'm selective about what rage songs get played uh, uh, because of those sorts of things. But I'd also like to point out that, uh, that they are cleaner than just about 95% of the rubbish that's on Maury FM every week in terms of the over-sexualised content that goes there. These guys are clean as a whistle when it comes to any of that rubbish because uh, they're predominant focus lyrically uh, and, uh, and Zach De La Rocha, the lead uh, singer of, or lead rapper or vocalist, whatever, of Rage, um, is, uh, is an absolute history nerd. Uh, and so it's lyrics steeped in history and poetry and predominantly focused around um, political structures uh, and, um, and focused around uh, and just, uh, issues of justice. Uh, and so there's just this kind of political uh, sort of connect, you know, thing that is, uh, is part of the whole lyrics, but also just really pioneering in terms of sound. So these guys came up like, with a whole new genre effectively, which became new metal, a whole lot of bands like uh, follow, and I was in all these bands like in my 20s where we just tried to do Rage Against the Machine. Uh, and in fact, I had a mate of mine that, uh, that had a band and he did Rage Covers, a Christian band, and they used to say things like, you've got to do what God tells you, which if you're a Rage, lyric, uh, rage fan, you'll know what they're trying. They, they Christianese the language and stuff to make it good. So like throughout my high school years, I'm listening to Rage and I'm just like fully into them. They're like epic and um, I don't get to listen to them to too much these days. Um, I have a wife who isn't particularly partial to this the genre, um, and so um, it's a and and I did have to take down the Rage Against the Machine banner uh, from our house, so that's now in the garage. Um, but you know, um, and she's not always amazed. Like I came home this week because Kmart are selling these Rage Against the Machine T-shirts. And um, I was expecting a little more enthusiasm uh, because she does know how much they mean to me. But anyway, that's cool. She has a little cool on. And then when she heard the title of my sermon again, hoping for like, that sounds really cool. And no, it was like sort of a roll of the eyes. But, um, <laughs> but what, so I went through high school and like just like they were the soundtrack for my teenage years, right? It's a big deal. And then they broke up uh, in the year 2000. So like I'm 18, end of high school, and it's like they broke, and I'm like seriously gutted, like teenager, like crying in his room, like I can't believe this has happened, you know, rage broke up, and I was so, I didn't cry, but I was really upset, and, um, and so then began what I call the wilderness years, where rage didn't, you know, exist, and, um, and they were tough years for me, but we got through them, and went to Bible college, and um, and then in 2007, this is like, like in 2007, the internet's kind of starting to really be something. And so like you hear rumours, it sounds like rage might be getting back together again. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> like, no, don't taunt me like this. And they're like, yeah, rage, you're getting back together. So I'm like, and then it, it becomes official. They, they got, they're getting back together and their first gig's going to be in Coachella in the States. And so I'm like, this is unreal. 
this is such great news. You're real, Lord. I believe in your kingdom. I believe this is exactly what I've been praying for. And then it gets better. It's like the first gig outside of New Zealand by Rage Against the Machine reunited after that hiatus was going to be in Auckland at the Big Day Out Festival. I'm like, oh, they're coming to me. I can't believe this is happening. So like now, poor as youth pastor, no money, anything like that. But like, we buy Big Day Out tickets. We get up to the concert. And uh, and uh, for Big Day Out, there's all sorts of other bands. And it was like, ah, oh, well, I can listen to all this rubbish. Because it's like, no. And they foolishly put on Bjork, which is this Icelandic kind of weird kind of whatever thing, just before Rage Against the Machine. So <laughs> tough gig for Bjork that day. Like, wasn't the easiest crowd she'd ever have. I could tell you that much. And uh, at Big Day Out, they have this barrier called the D that uh, circles the front of the stage so that a certain number of people can go in there. Uh, and, and for safety's sake, they close it once it gets too full. So we were so freaked out that we wouldn't get to the front for the Rage concert that we stayed eight hours in the hot Auckland sun just sitting there in the D waiting for Rage to come on. And then, uh, like Big Day Out, they just bang through the bands. It's like, you know, I'm seriously talking about Rage Against the Machine today if you want like this. <laughs> so anyway, then pastor's on holiday for the next two weeks, you can tell. Eh? So anyway, <laughs> then Jen's looking nervous. Uh, so then like, then like Rage Against, so normally at Big Day Out, the bands come out real quick. Like there's like a 10 minute turnaround max, but for, and even for the big bands, it's just they bring them out. For whatever reason, it took a while for Rage Against Machine to come out. And I genuinely am standing there like, they've broken up again. They're in the changing room, they've broken up again. They've all had a fight, they're not going to come out. And I'm like, fully freaking out. And then, and then Rage Against the Machine finally walk out onto the stage at Auckland Big Day Out Festival. And I'm like having an ecstasy attack. Like I'm just like fully overwhelmed. And then there's this little moment. Here we go. This is from this concert. This is what this moment happened. Do you want to hit play on the video, Steve? Earth to Steve? He's so tuned out. It's like, <laughs> here we go. This moment here. Here we go. You, that's all I'm going to play because I realise that that's enough for a lot of you. Uh, but that moment for me was spiritual, man. And it's like, and then they dropped in to testify this brilliant song. And it was like, and the reason it was such the best gig I've ever been to was because every single one of their songs, as far as I'm concerned, is just brilliant. They, they're not a one-hit wonder. It's like they literally don't have a hit. It's like every song is a work of genius and I love. And so they would finish a song and you'd be like, that was amazing. And and you're like, oh, what are they going to play next? What are they going to play? And some of you guys, that's some Rage fans, you know exactly what song that is. So a lot of you are like, that sounds weird. Uh, but, wanny, 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 yeah. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's Bulls on Parade. And you're just going, and then like, you'd finish and you'll be like, that was amazing. And then it's like, oh, what's next? Ding, 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 ding. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's going to And it was like that. I saw it. And then by the end of it, I was just like, I was emotionally wrung out. It was just the one of the most amazing moments of my life. And I've got no footage of it on my phone because that was before all that rubbish came in. I actually was present at the concert for every glorious moment. It was heaven. Anyway, <clears throat> I didn't expect to go on that long for that bit. But <laughs> part of the reason I wanted to talk about rage this morning is that um, 
is that these guys tapped in for my generation this this discontent about the way the world is. Like all of their lyrics were like, it is just not right that, you know, that 1% of the world's wealth, um, it's 1% of the, like 0.00, like they're 40 or 50% of the world's wealth is owned by like 1% of the population. I mean, it's just like there's so much injustice in the world. And, um, and you know, um, these guys, you know, like fully um, get racked up about police brutality and about political corruption. And like it tapped into this thing of like, this isn't the way the world's meant to be. <laughs> And so, like, they would, all their lyrics would tap into that frustration and angst and discontent for uh, our generation. And certainly for the last 10 years, I've been like, where the heck have you been, Rage? We could have done it with a bit of your, you know, lyrical input here, man, because, because that's a godly thing. But the problem is that Zach De La Rocha and all the Rage guys, the only solution that they can present is some form of socialist Marxism that says somehow if we can kind of um, get into a nice form of socialism, things will be okay, which is just nowhere near good enough. And they can't even live it out themselves. I can walk into Kmart and buy a Rage Against the Machine t-shirt, which suggests to me that they haven't entirely rejected the capitalist worldview in terms of how to make some money, right? They've done quite well, thank you very much, through this whole thing. But if I was, uh, if I reckon if Paul, the Apostle Paul, was having a chat with the rage guys, he would say this. And you can see this is basically paraphrasing what, what Paul says in Athens in Acts chapter 17. And he says, I think he would say, I see Rage Against the Machines, Zach De La Rocha, Tim Comerford, Brad Wilk, and Tom Morello, <laughs> uh, and, and all your fans, that you're deeply discontent with the way the world is, and we should be. The world needs healing. And I see this burning passion to see the corrupt systems of the world exposed and overthrown. But there is a better person than Che Guevara to look to as inspiration. The ultimate revolutionary has walked to the earth and his name is Jesus Christ. His manifesto is the Sermon on the Mount, and his way is the only way that leads to the human flourishing that you so long for. And this is why, uh, and then he'll go, and this is where I would say some stuff to Zach, and I'd be like, and the reality, mate, is that followers of Jesus have not done the best job following the greatest revolutionary that's walked the planet. We have often domesticated and tamed the wild invitation of Jesus to follow him, to live a radical countercultural life that surprises people, that sees the kingdom of God manifest, and indeed, therefore, sees human beings flourish. And so our culture, the machine, is no longer going to let, uh, here's the, yeah, this is the reality. We live in a time where we actually need some rage against the machine spirit in our Christians, where we need some folks to rise up and just say, it is time that we stop. Like, like living under a culture that just is just so toxic. And while it isn't just the things of injustice, which are very true, the, uh, the, the sludge of consumerism that we swim in every single day is shaping us and robbing us of so much life as we live in this constant state of comparison and discontent. It is time we rise up and actually follow the way of Jesus into a place that sees us flourish, where we take his word seriously, where we go all in and we go radical, where we start getting radical for him. The reality is that when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't ask us to namby-pamby along. He invites us to live a radical life, which I'm like, sign me up. Like that's, that's why folks get into Rage Against Machines. They want some sort of radical edge to their life. And Jesus gives us that and invites us to live it. 
I, I would suggest we, we, need to get, we need to reclaim what it looks like to live radically for God again. Uh, Mike Iaconelli wrote this in a wonderful book called A Dangerous Wonder. He said, I'd like to suggest that the church become a place of terror again, <laughs> a place where God has to continually tell us, fear not, a place where our relationship with God is not a simple belief or doctrinal theology, it's God's burning presence in our lives. I'm suggesting that the tame God of relevance be burned by the God whose very presence shatters our egos into dust, burns our sin into ashes and strips us naked to reveal the real person within. The church needs to become a dangerous, a gloriously dangerous place where nothing is safe in God's presence except us. Hallelujah. Nothing including our plans, agendas, priorities, politics, money, our security, comfort, positions or needs. Oh yeah. This is, guys, the forces in Western culture are too strong. And like we're finishing term one with a bit of a bang here, right? <laughs> I've been listening to a bit of Raging's Machine. I've been prepping this talk and I'm fairly fired up because I'm like, the reality is that, that it, unless you choose the radical way of Jesus, at some point you will capitulate to the forces of our Western culture. Like it is no longer possible just to cruise. It's too difficult. And the kingdom does not advance with cruising Christians. The, the kingdom of God advanced with those that have radically chosen to follow the way of Jesus. And so one of the things that I'm going to keep banging on about is that we need to come back to this place where, where Jesus is not just our Saviour, He becomes our Lord. Because an issue that we're kind of dealing with at the moment in the church is that we've been talking about going to heaven when you die so much and about the centrality of being saved saved and all the rest of it, which is hugely important. But what happens then is that people think that's the main thing. And the main thing isn't that you go to heaven when you die. The main thing is that you see heaven come to earth now. The main thing isn't that He's just your Saviour and that you're forgiven of sin. The main thing is He's Lord over everything in your life. Come on. Woo, Harvey's preaching this morning. Hey, don't let him listen to rage too much, friends. He gets all fired up. Let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 16, we've got to come back to this. this is, we have sanitized the Gospels, but this is hardcore stuff. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to become my, follow, my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Like there is a sense when you choose Jesus where you're saying, I'm, just, I'm loose change in your hands, God. Like when, from now on, you're Lord of all, I'm loose change in your hands. And I'm going to lose myself in you. I'm going to choose to die to myself and my priority. And, and we fear that. Like we, we, we wrestle with that because deep down, do we really trust Him? This is what this exposes. Do we really trust Him? Because the story doesn't end with you losing your life. The story ends with you finding real life, the flourishing life you long for. But the doorway we must walk through constantly, not just once, consistently, is I choose to die to myself and choose your way, Jesus. It's not the way that my flesh wants to go. It's not the easy way, but I choose to go your way. And that death looks like in a million and one different things and it's unique to every one of us. And we know deep down what in this season of our life it looks like to say I'm dying to myself because I'm choosing Jesus but when you do that you walk into life when you do that you walk into a flourishing your soul comes alive and as Jesus says you can gain the whole world but you can lose your soul it's just not worth it in the end 
Paul's take on it, and he was thinking of this in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The whole thing, I'm just yours, Lord. I'm just yours. What it looked like, I've just been, I've been really hit by this. In fact, we'll jump, a, we'll jump a slide here, Steve. Dallas Willard says this. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in her life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. Disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. Like, we're going to, I'm just so concerned with where our, our culture is at and where our church is at. I'm going to be pushing this a lot. Where I'm like, I want to keep calling us back to this idea that our life needs to be 100% orientated around Jesus. Like, 100% orientated around, consumed with Jesus, focused on Jesus. Like, we're just thinking about Him as much as we can. First thing in the morning, before we go to sleep at night. And this is God's heart. There's this beautiful prayer called the Shema. It's the central affirmation of faith for the Jewish people found in Deuteronomy 6. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts on your house and your gates. Like this is, but this passage says this. Orientate your life around Jesus. Like orientate your life around His Word. But like just be consumed with Him. And I'm finding that as, uh, as I journey with Jesus throughout the years, it doesn't get any easier. You've got to keep picking Him, keep choosing Him, keep dying to yourself, yielding to yourself, and just sinking deeper and deeper into the life of Jesus. Where literally the hours of your day clearly reflect that you're Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We are consumed with Him. Oh, man, I've been, um, I've been struck by like just how, how radical the scriptures are. I mean, let's have a look at Matthew 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. That's radical. That's like I'm leaving my career, I'm leaving my financial security, and I'm following the way of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, it says this of the early church, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them, bought the proceeds of what was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as, as any had need. That's radical. That's hardcore. We've sanitized what it means to be the church, and we've kind of got to this like a little bit of like, I'll flick your buck or two, mate, you know? And it's like, this is radical stuff. This is how the kingdom advances. It's through radical generosity, radical commitment. Acts 17 verse 7, it says, these people have been turning the world upside down, have come here also. This is talking about the Christians. This is the reputation of the community. And Jason has entertained his guests. They are all acting con contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. Like, there's a revolution that these guys are a part of and society was observing man, these guys are hardcore. Like there's so much going on here. Uh, I was reading just honestly in the Bible in a year this morning and um, I was absolutely struck by just how hardcore so many passages are and they all speak, they all speak to different, uh, different um, 
elements of the radical heart of God and the radical invitation of God. This won't be on the screen. It's literally from this morning as I'm doing my Bible in a year. Uh, so you've got the parable of the persistent widow, like radical faith. I'm just going to keep knocking on the door of heaven. Then it goes on to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's like, it's talking about the pride that, you know, Ryan talked about this last week, genius thing. And it's like, it's about radical humility. Stop thinking that you're all sorted out. The little children of Jesus, radical humility. The rich in the kingdom of God. And, and this poor guy, Jesus said to him, sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. It's like radical commitment to my way. And then he talks about his death. And it's like this radical love that he's got for us. And then this blind beggar receives a sight, but how does he do it? He starts yelling out, Son of David, have mercy on me, and makes such a noise that eventually Jesus like goes and does this whole thing. It's like there's every the Bible's dripping with radical everything. Like radical everything. It's all just radical humility, generosity, passion for Jesus, commitment to follow him. That's what it's all about. It's not about some sort of halfway sort of thing. So here we go. So um, in our church, we're, like, there's a whole lot that, um, you know, we've got our vision, which we talk about a lot. But I love what's happening. Like, I'm just like, I'm so froth right now. Like, as I said last week, it's like we had 20, um, uh, we had 20, this classic pastor. We had 16, uh, we had 16 uh, people praying in the week before. It was five or something, you know, and I'm just like, Yes, this is awesome. I love what I'm seeing with the prophetic, where it's like there's a new normal around we are just, you, you know, what Jen did this morning. I'm like, yes, that's, this is it. Like this, that radical edge is where the kingdom advances. And so we want to keep praying for renewal. We want to keep reaching out to broken people. But here's our thing on discipleship. We want to bring this up, Steve, to be with. Um, this is our definition about what it means to be a disciple, that people increasingly are learning and growing and, and orientating their lives around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did if he was you, right? That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, what I'm, I want to suggest to us today is that we, like, this can't be some half-pie, half-hearted commitments. It has to be a radical commitment that I'm going to be with Jesus, that we're going to restore a devotional practice to the daily experience of the follower of Jesus. Because being with Jesus on a Sunday is lovely, but it's not enough. So if you're serious about Jesus, then you're going to radically prioritise, pursue and chip away and fight for a devotional life that's going to see all the fruit that you long to see in your life start manifest itself more and more and more. The compound interest on having a strong devotional life cannot be overstated. Like it changes your life. And, and to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, it's got to find its roots, deep roots in being with Jesus. To not capitulate to the pressures of our culture and the waves of advertisements you're going to swim in today and all the social media and all that stuff requires people to be radically committed to being with Jesus. To take John 15 really seriously, to, to have a life with Jesus uh, of deep commitment to Him. Uh, it requires a radical commitment to become like Jesus. Jesus, to, to work through the stuff that's affected you, to work through the moments in your life that have wounded you, wounded you, to process your grief, to process your disappointment, to bring it to the Lord. That Galatians 5 would be a filter for you, something you consider all the time. Are you becoming a more fruity person? Are you becoming a more, like, can you look back over the last five years or 10 years following Jesus or however long it's been and you can say, yeah. Fruit's growing, baby. I'm far more, like, I'm far more filled with peace. 
not as a, as, a, as a theory, but as an experienced reality, my life is marked by more peace. Love, obviously. But I love it. Joy, the first three, and these are the main things that I've talked about a lot, and Gospel of John bangs on it all the time, the fruit, love, joy, and peace. I'm like, can you get how cool that is? Like, joy is in the top three, like that actually, if you're following Jesus and doing it properly and radically committed to Him and being with Him, you're going to be giggling a lot more as every year goes past with Him. You'll find stuff way more funny. Now, I know laughing is just a fruit of joy, but it's good. Like you can tell if he's filled with joy because everything's a bit more funny. Like everything's a bit more silly. And I'm like, I love it. That's one of the filters as to whether the fruit of the Spirit's growing in your life. Sign me up, baby. I'm all in. Like that's the sort of life we all long to live. Filled with love, filled with joy, filled with peace. But it doesn't happen just because we hope it will. It happens because I've been counseling almost every single year that I've been in full-time ministry. It happens because I confess my sin. It happens because I don't pretend that wound didn't happen in my childhood years. It happens, I read the stuff, I, I, I've been to flipping a thousand altar calls, I've worked through the stuff, I've got friends processing, and it's the journey of my life. I am determined to become more like Jesus. And so like, you've got to be radically committed to this, friends. And lastly, to do what Jesus did. Again, as I said, I just love, I, I love, I just, I'm so proud of my wife this morning, that was awesome. It was radical, man. It's like she's got this thing of healing on her life. You know, that's like, all right, take some guts. I'm going to go talk about that even after I've dug my head and I've got blood all down my face. I'm going to keep, I'm going to, I want to do what Jesus did. I love what's happening with our friends that have got very uh, equipped and inspired around the prophetic. Like, let's not just keep that up. We do what Jesus did, sharing our faith, evangelism, um, radical generosity, right? Like, that's part of the, the gig. And it's like, when was the last time you went all in on some of that stuff? You know, it's exciting. It's fun. It's where the adventure is. Um, prayer, you know, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to contend for that stuff. I want to invite us this morning to, um, to get a bit of Rage Against the Machine in us, man. And it's be like, it, you know, he, he, at one point, Zach de la Rocha is screaming at the end of, of just going through this litany of injustices and oppression and stuff. And he just starts, at the end of one of the songs, he just starts screaming, wake up, wake up, wake up. And like, I listen to Rage now through the lens of like a pastor, right? I'm a follower of Jesus. And it's like this prophetic, I just feel, like, feel the Holy Spirit all over it. Because I'm like, we need people to help. Like, and this is what I want to do this morning is just go, wake up. Come on, let's wake up and go radical for God. Let's go radical for Jesus. Like, let's go hardcore for Him. You know, what I love about the do what Jesus did become like Jesus, you know, it's a radical commitment to rest. Oh, I love the whole thing because right, right now some of you guys have got, like, got flashbacks from churches where you went radical and burnt out. And I'm like, it's also a radical commitment to rest. He said, come to me and rest, not come to me in stress. It's like, come to me and rest. It's in the Ten Commandments is to have Sabbath rest, one of the most, neglect, the most neglected of the Ten Commandments in the Western church is to rest every week really well. Like it's all of that. It's radical obedience to him uh, on all of that stuff. And so I want to I just invite, like, the reason we do our home churches isn't because churches should have small groups in midweek and they're good for relationships. Yes, that's all true, right? 
But we do midweek home churches because we are trying to build a radical counterculture of people who've, whose lives are orientated around Jesus. And all of our home church resources are, are not just about Bible study as much as that's important. They are about the practices that see your lifestyle change to be more orientated and lined up with the lordship that Jesus should have in your life. That's what we're all about with our home churches. Like that's why, and so that's why it's like building a strong devotional life, Sabbath rest, walking into wholeness. We're doing another one, deepening your devotional life that we're going to release for the next term. We've got one that we're planning for term three about living missionally. All of it's centered around learning to live the way of Jesus. And what I love is that a lot of people are giving me feedback like, yeah, I'm struggling with it because it's like changing my lifestyle. <laughs> and it's like we've somehow thought we could get saved, go to church, and our lifestyle doesn't change for 80 years until we see him face to face one day. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're transformed from glory to glory, that actually your lifestyle, literally the habits that make up who you are, you are the sum of your habits, that your habits change month in, month out, year in, year out. They change. They're different to be more lined up with the fact that Jesus is Lord of your life. That's what it means to be apprenticed, to be following Jesus. And it's such a great ride. It's so worth it because it leads to life. He is the author of life, the giver of life, the bringer of life. He leads us to life. He died so that we may have life. Like you choose him, you're choosing life. Good choice, smart move. I come to land with this, I think. <clears throat> um, no promises. There's a wonderful, there's a number of churches that really influence, uh, uh, have really influenced us here at Bay Vineyard and, and our thinking and our approach to discipleship and all the rest of it. And one of them is a church called Bridgetown Church. And they've recently um, talked about what is the church, like what are we called to be? And how do we uh, live, live out uh, our, a radical Christian faith in today's world? And, and, and again, because what's happened historically sometimes in church history is that Christians have got very fired up from these sorts of things, like these messages, whatever, and they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a community where we do it properly, and we withdraw from the world. But we're not called to withdraw from the world. We're called to be salt and light in the world, but have such a distinctive flavor and to bring the clear light and darkness that people are drawn to the, to the person of Jesus through the life of his community. And so they've said, now some, they use some language that is not Kiwi and they've got a whole lot of smart, way smarter people than me in that church. And so I'm like, oh, what do you mean by that? But, but I like what they're saying here. So listen, here's a couple, this is what they've committed to. They're like, we're going to be a community of tight-knit loving relationships and a culture of individualism through the practice of community, right? Uh, and all of these you'll see this practice. So it's like, if you want to follow Jesus, you practice, you choose it. So it's like, you're like, oh, I'm a bit lonely. It's like, well, choose home church. Choose a community. You won't feel like it. You'll feel nervous. You'll feel a bit vulnerable. You'll feel awkward for a little while. But you choose it. And then like fast forward a year, you've got friends who are there for you and who are growing together and it's richer. And so rather than a culture that idolizes individualism, we're saying we choose to, to be connected to one another. We choose to gather on a Sunday morning, even on very nice days in the bay. 10 out of 10 guys, well done. Jesus points galore, all right? <laughs> Number two, a community of orthodoxy and a culture of ideological idolatry through the practice of Scripture. <laughs> some, of, some of you guys love that. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, bro. Uh, but it's basically saying, like, we, we don't just go with well, whatever's cool on social media in terms of uh, moral relativism or whatever. This. This is what anchors us. This is our Turonga Wai Wai. This is where we stand. This is our people. This is our place. And this frames our lives. This is what shapes our moral worldview and all the rest of it. 
Thirdly, a community of holiness and a culture of moral relativism, which I just talked about, through the practice of prayer and fasting. So again, we, it's not like, ah, oh, you know, you can do whatever you want. So no, through prayer and through fasting, and we've just come out of a 21-day season, it's like we're choosing to live radically differently, and we want to become holy like you're holy, shape us, mold us, guide us. And as we spend time in the presence of a holy God, it'll rub off on us. You want to choose the right things when you're hanging out regularly with the Holy God, right? A culture of a community of peace and a culture of fear through the practice of silence and solitude. This is where I still get a lot of pushback. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't know about that one, mate. My squirrel brain won't help me. And I've got my phone, which has got lots of fun things to look at. And you want, you know, and then I sit there and I feel like nothing's happening and then I get distracted. But this is why we need it. Jesus did it, we do it. Jesus went away into places, lonely places. And I can tell you from personal experience, some of the most transforming moments you can have with Jesus aren't necessarily even when you read this or listen to a worship thing or podcast, when you choose to go to a place where you can be still. And mums, I know this is like two minutes, probably the toilet, whatever, but it's like, but you choose a place and you're like, I'm gonna be still. I set the timer on my watch. I'm like, for 10 minutes, I'm gonna sit on this bench. And I do this sometimes in Nahiriri Port. Come, Lord Jesus. It's going to be still in your presence. And I often use a breath prayer. You are my father. I'm your child. You are my father and I'm your child. Whatever it may be. And I just still and the peace of God just comes. And I sense his presence. Oh, it's heaven. Community of peacemakers in a culture of political polarization through the practice of hospitality. Again, it's like I just love that we... um, Next, um, next school holidays, the middle weekend of the school holidays, we're going to do another big feed. So those who have been in our church for a while, you know what it is, where it's like um, everyone signs up and then we just like, guess who's come dinner? And then we tell you where you're going and we all just gather together in different places. And you know, I was just thinking about, I just love how diverse our church is. Like it'd be a lot easier if everyone was the same political persuasion and saw this and everyone just listened to Rage Against the Machine, to be honest. And we all just like, we all saw the world the way we, Sam sees it. It'd be just so easy. But of course, there's huge diversity, huge cultural backgrounds, huge differences in political opinion, and we're united in Jesus. And so the world's trying to get into everyone and tribes and camps and separate everyone. We, we rage against that, hallelujah, against that machine. And we say we are a community of unity under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, a community of rest and a culture of exhaustion. So Sabbath, we talked about that a lot. It's, it's an act of defiance. Walter Brueggemann wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance. That's rage against the machine right there. That's like I am going to rest because I'm not a slave. If I cannot rest, I am a slave and I'm back in Egypt making bricks, trying to get my worth and identity. Oh, I can't preach all this stuff. Sorry. Community, blah, blah. You can read the rest of it. <clears throat> this is what it's going to take, though. Like, again, we, we, we have to reclaim a vision for what church is called to be. And we need to reclaim a vision of the fact that you're called to radically follow Jesus. You. He bids you come and follow me. And Bonhoeffer said, you know, when, when, God, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Very brave heart, Right? But also, Bonhoeffer didn't say this, but, but you can, the opposite's exactly true, the paradox. When Jesus says, come follow me, he says, come and live. Paradoxically, both are 100% true. But the doorway is through saying, I'm completely committed to, to your way. I, I finish with this. I finish with this, I actually do. God loves you. And none of this hardcore Christianity stuff has anything to do with the simple fact that God loves you. It doesn't change it one iota. This is just the beautiful grace of God. 
You don't have to be a hardcore Christian for God to love you. And you, and as your pastor, you can sit in this church and suss us out and suss Jesus out and do whatever you want to do for as long as you need to do it. Like God loves you. And if some of you are like, I'm tired, I don't need this sermon today, I needed a cuddle and, uh, you know, and, a, and the Holy Spirit's your comforter sort of sermon or something. And I'm sorry. And I just pray you'd know His grace and, and peace in your situation. Sit with us, heal, let us minister to you. God loves you just the way we are. We don't go hard for Jesus because we want to earn His love. He loves us because He loves us because He loves us because He loves us. Nothing will ever change that. And, uh, and, and so th- th- I just need to say, like, that's it. Like, that's the, the hardcore radical truth. <laughs> now, do I think that there's a lot of life in going hardcore radical for Jesus? Yes. And the simple reality, as I said earlier, is the church does not advance by just us cruising. This church is going to advance when people make radical decisions for Jesus. This church will advance when people are all in. People, I get this almost every week, when you're getting a building. And it's like, well, guess what? I'm not the, the CEO of flipping Woolworths where I can just open another Woolworths. We are a church family and we're going to get a building when we've got enough money to be either lease a building or buy a building. And you know where that money is right now? In your pockets, right? So how does, <laughs> so how do, right? So I'm like, mate, great. When are we going to do it? I don't know. Whenever you want to do it, bro, you tell me. Like, seriously, it's three days. I've, this week, you know, we'll, we'll do some more stuff in the community. I'm like, why are you telling me we've got more stuff in the community? Why don't you go to the community and do some more stuff? Well, last time I checked, you are the church as well, not just me, right? Like the kingdom advances when people get radically into the whole thing. And that's how it's always, and it doesn't advance otherwise, and Christchurch, a wealthy businessman, bought the building our church was met in because they believed in the thing. Like, that's what happens. This church started because me and Jen went all in with our finances and with every single part of our life to start this church. That's how the kingdom advances. The kingdom advances when Jen plays dangerous prayers, radical prayers, even when she means it's a bit weird because she is chasing people down after school to pray for that girl with a wonky, wonky knee. That's how the kingdom advances. That's how the kingdom, the kingdom doesn't advance any other way. It only advances when Steve and June decide not to stay in retirement, but to help us out, crazy thing. That's how the kingdom advances. It's radical, hardcore people that are all in with Jesus. And I need you guys, we need this in our culture. And I love what's happening in our church. There is a rising tide. There is a new normal. There's a new hunger. There's a far greater percentage of you that now regularly have a devotional life throughout the week than there was three years ago. Our prayer meetings, we've stayed faithful and consistent at it, praying that God would move in the church and in the bay. And in camp, we saw the fruit of a good long patch of intercession. We've been praying for things like the prophetic happening, and it's starting to happen more and more. Like there is, like, if there's any horse you should back, it's the kingdom of God. That's a good horse to back. Put your money in there, put your time in there, put your focus in there, but make sure you build the kingdom the king's way. Your soul should flourish, not get wrecked. If you're feeling exhausted from caring too much, then dial it down, have more Sabbath rest. Take it. But what, when the whole church commits themselves to giving their whole life to Jesus, it just, it's, uh, uh, oh man, it'll, it start, that's when things start to happen. Zach De La Rocha says in the song, Gorilla Radio, <clears throat> it's an epic moment, rocking song, and then it just stops. And he says this, he whispers, he's like, it has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? And then he screams, 
the band kicks back in, all hell can't stop us now. All hell can't stop us now. And like, I, oh, I get the tingles. I used to have that as my ringtone, actually. <laughs> has to start somewhere. And it's like this prophetic, and like, even for some of you this morning, I'm like, what are you waiting for? Like, I know this is just a normal Sunday at the end of term one of 2021. It's like, and we've had all tough stuff. But I'm like, some of you, I'm like, you need to make some radical decisions today. I don't know what it is, but, it ha- but I'm like, it has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Because all hell can't stop us when we choose to go all in for the things of God's kingdom. And so I want to say, begin now, start now. This ordinary son, a fresh commitment to orientating your life radically around Jesus. What does that look like? I'm not sure. Join a home church. Start giving. Go hard on your devos. Give another push on on Sabbath rest. Go to counselling. Confess that sin to someone. Say no to that thing that's going to suck more time out of your life. Change your schedule. Prioritise your family. Do, Do something that's like in response to the radical invitation of Jesus to follow him. Paul says this, I appeal to you in view of his mercy that you would offer your your bodies as living sacrifices. And that's what I do this morning. I appeal to you, church. I appeal to you. Will you give your life completely to the kingdom? After this sermon, it's like, oh, yes. I feel like, and it's like, by the way, next Sunday, we're just going to have a picnic. So uh, just relax. (laughs) Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And it's like, all right, there we have a picnic. Come there. And, and I joke, I joke about rest. You know what? And we're going to have this in our culture of our church where rest is a matter of obedience for us. And like, well, literally, I'll be, you know, I was catching up Blair this week and all that, and I'm like, it's a matter of obedience. We're going to rest well and we're going to contend well. And so like now, like I, the, the better you rest over the next two weeks enables you and then term two to contend with greater gas in the tank because we've got to push back the forces of darkness. We need to rally together and we need to, to fight these powers of injustice and the dark forces that are in this world. And that happens when we say yes to the ultimate revolutionary, Steve, last slide, the ultimate revolutionary, Come on, come on. Jesus Christ, come on. There, rock on. Come on, hey? That is awesome. Woo! That felt good. All right, let's pray. That was a 40-year sermon in the making, man. That's been a, I mean, we're in preaching rage. I'll invite you to stay seated, but I'm going to invite you to stand in a second if you want to respond and say, I want to commit to a radical life to Jesus. And it's just like, it, and, and what that looks like for you is going to look different for every other person. But what it looks like for you, God knows you know. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us now. Like, what does that look like for you right now to go, yeah, I'm in. I'm, I want to be radically orientated around. And, and, and if you have not made the decision to make Jesus as Lord, can I just invite you this morning to go, yeah, I'm in. I want to follow you, Jesus. But let me pray, and then I'm going to invite you to stand if you want to, um, if you want to go hard on this stuff. Lord, uh, thank you for the way that you stepped into this world. And you didn't stay distant, but you stepped into the very brokenness of this world. And all the things that, um, that, that generations have been frustrated about, you stepped into the world to bring healing, to bring your kingdom, which would overthrow the principalities and the forces of darkness in this world, and to usher in a new kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of love, of joy, of peace, of wholeness. And, uh, and so, Lord, you called us to be a community that are, are a foretaste of the things that are of the eternal. The, 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 the way uh, the world is meant to be, we're meant to reflect that more and more. We're 
We're meant to live under the lordship of a radical God. And so, um, Jesus, I pray that you would fill us afresh with fire from heaven. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be a safe place for us. Lord, I pray that you would indeed come and comfort those who are disturbed and going through difficult times. But Lord, I pray especially that you would disturb the comfortable. Lord, that you would disturb us, Lord, where we've got comfortable and we've got complacent and we've got bored and we've just capitulated to the way that our society lives and just put a little bit of Christianese on the top. Lord, we want to be hardcore for you. So Lord, I pray for hardcore intercessors. I pray for hardcore givers. I pray for hardcore leaders. I pray for people with enormous faith. Lord, I just pray that you'll cause us to rise up and uh, and to, to dedicate ourselves to the advancement of your kingdom and that you would be Lord of all. Thank you, Father. Come and fill us with fresh fire this morning. Thank you, Lord. And I want to ask the question, and I feel like this is a question from the Lord. In this season, what does it look like to orientate your life radically around Jesus? So I, I just, I asked, and I've sensed the Lord's just here, and He wants to ask you that. This morning, what does it look like for you to orientate your life radically around Jesus? What are the things that you need, the things that will change in your lifestyle, the things that will change in your diary and your schedule and your finances and your priorities and your relationships? What is it? What does it look like? And so let's just allow him to speak to us. Lord, speak to us. And Lord, thank you, there's, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus and you don't call us beyond what we're ready to carry and all that. You're such a good Father. You're for us and you cheer us on. And so Lord, I just pray that there'll be a sense of rising excitement in our heart around what it could look like to live radically for you, to live radically for you.